Blog Talk Radio. October 17th, Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is the show where we discuss news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's is the philosophy that uniquely, I believe, upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I will be joined here in the studio soon by cartoonist Bosch Faustin, and we are happy to be interviewing this evening... Kafir Alfia, who is one of the producers of the new show. You might have heard of it because I've been sharing it around. It is called The Flip Side with Michael Loftus. And I do believe we actually have Kafir already on the line. So I'm wondering if I can make Bosch really mad and, and start the interview without Bosch. Let me see. Is this Kafir? Hello? Mm, I don't think that's Kafir. I think that's somebody else and maybe this is Kafir. Hello. Hello. Is this is this Kafir? This is me. Excellent. Hi. Welcome to the show. And this is terrible because this is the first time I have had a television producer as a guest on my show. And I have a horrible cold and my voice sounds huh. so disgusting huh. and unprofessional. Yeah, but, it's but well this is the thing. At least, at least I have you a sound voice fine to me. Okay, well, you you don't maybe know my normal voice, but this is terrible. And those people who have been longtime listeners to the show know that in the past year or so, every time I get a cold, it goes straight to my vocal cords, and it is relentless. So I've got tea, I've got all the accoutrements here, and at least I can be heard, so that's good. So welcome, and you're on... Uh, a different time zone where it's kind of late for you. I appreciate you staying up and, and speaking to us this evening, Kavir. Yeah, no problem. I uh, put a little pot of coffee there, and uh, I think I'm pretty <laughs> alert. Excellent. So we'll find out, or maybe we're just going to take advantage of your non-alertness and get all kinds of scoops on the show that you didn't want to give out, or <laughs> who knows. Now, there you go. That's the way. Let me understand this. You are one of three producers of the show. Is that correct? Uh, well, I'm the. Uh, there's a, I guess I'm an executive producer. Um, okay. And then we have two other producers. Um, yeah, so three producers. You're right. So I, I counted well. <laughs> so this is a good start. <laughs> um, I now, never really counted them, but yeah, that's right. Now I was going to ask you, and this is this is a kind of question that I've heard on someone else's podcast that I've been listening to. Recently, and I'll talk more about who it is and whatever it is later. But this one podcast, they would ask every guest this question: 
what are in effect the seeds of awesomeness of your life? And, and really, it's a question about your background. So what is it about your background that has kind of brought you to do the awesome things that you do today, like producing the only non-liberal comedy news yeah. culture politics show uh, on television? Okay. Um, so the story starts, um, I was in UT Austin getting um, an engineering degree. And I switched over to film, like after about a year, because those were my two passions, uh, like uh, engineering and film. I know it's kind of a strange mix, but um, I decided to graduate in film, went, moved to L.A., and spent a couple of years trying to break into the industry. And after I got a pretty good sense of just how closed the industry was and just knocking my head against the wall, you know, I just figured that came to the conclusion this is not going to be the route for me. So I decided to to go back and finish my engineering degree at UT and maybe revisit the, the industry after I, you know, made some money and kind of just do it on my own terms. Um and actually, it was in L.A. that I encountered uh, the Fountainhead. And uh, mm. my best friend and, and roommate um, at the time, uh, Alan, he had the book on his shelf. And every time I'd go into his room, I'd notice it. And it was just an intriguing title for me, you know, The Fountainhead. I had no idea what it was about. So you so, hadn't heard of it before so, that? No. didn't. Never okay. heard of Ayn Rand, never heard of The Fountainhead, never heard of anything of objectivism. So one day I asked and, him, like, and, and about about how old were you at this time? About how old? I I was, I think twenty one. Okay. Yeah, about twenty one. So I finally asked him, I'm like, "What's this Fountainhead book? I keep on seeing it here. I've never seen you read it. What is it about?" And then he told me, you know, it's about a novel on individualism. And I was like, "Oh, cool! Somebody actually wrote a novel about individualism. I just thought that was intriguing." And then I, was, I asked him, like, you know, when did it come out? And he's like, oh, it was in the 40s. And I was like, wow. You know, a, a book on individualism that was published in the 40s. I was like, really intriguing to me. And then I asked him about the author. He was this Ayn, Ayn Rand. And then, he, you know, when he told me it was a, a, a Russian Jewish immigrant woman, I mean, I was like, I have to read this book. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like a Russian Jewish woman from came came to America and wrote a book on individualism. Right. So uh, I pretty much, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was just saying, right. Sorry. Oh yeah. So I pretty much started reading it like immediately, right then and there. I was like, I just took the book and just went into my room, and started reading it, and I didn't stop until like 24 hours later when I finished it. And you know, wow. I, had, I had to go to work. I had to go to work. This was and I started reading at night. I had to. I didn't go to sleep. I had to go to work. I went to work. I was working at some temp agency, just doing something really rote, where I can get away with continuing to read. And I read it at work. Got home, finished reading it, and I was like, you know, completely blown away. I mean, as far as I was concerned, the book was a miracle. I mean, I had no idea a person was capable of creating such a world and such a story and and, and putting all those ideas down in a story. Wow. And I mean, I was completely. I love. I love the book. I would. I would try to get my friends to read Rourke's speech. You know, in vain. They'd be like, "Get out of here! I don't really want to read anything like this." You know, <laughs> it's probably out of context just reading the, uh, the the Rourke speech without reading everything else. But yeah, no, it probably wouldn't anyways. work very well. Yeah. 
There's a build up. Oh, go ahead, Bosh. No, no, no. Just, just, just high and uh, just, just continue. Okay. Uh, and I was ready to go back to uh, finish my uh, my engineering degree. I was going to do it in computer engineering, and I was pretty much running on the fumes of the fountainhead. And what a send off to go back into engineering school with that. So I was really pumped. So I graduated about two years later because I already had a lot of the science stuff taken care of uh, in the degree. And I got a job with HP at their uh, R&D lab in Cupertino. And um, I worked, yeah, I worked there for a little bit. And then I started working for a startup that was really promising. This was right before the big uh, bubble burst of Mm. 2002. (laughs) And uh, I thought I was on a, I'm on my way to being a uh, uh, you know, a millionaire because everybody that the company was doing really really well. Anyways, the bubble burst, uh, everybody got fired, <laughs> and then I I ended up working for another startup. I was living in San Francisco, and in February of 2002, as I was driving home from work, I I came to slowly realize that pretty much the city was becoming engulfed by these you know protesters who, you know, through their signage had a really misinformed you know, view of America, you know, a misinformed view of America, founders, capitalism, uh, Israel, and, you know, pretty much everything else that I love. And, uh, you know, I took issue with their, you know, portrayal of, you know, of, of America and Israel, these, you know, fascist, racist yeah. r- regimes. And I would complain to my girlfriend, my then-girlfriend, who's now my wife, you know, every day yeah. I'd be, you know, bitching to her about, you know, <laughs> all the things that I'm saying and how ridiculous it was. And right. and she grew tired of hearing about it. And she's like, you know what, if you, you need to stop bitching about it and go do something about it. And I was yes. like, well, what can I do? So the next weekend they were having a rally in the uh, the, prote- the Union Square. And I, and I put on, my, I had a shirt with the uh, Israeli flag on it. Um. And I put that on. And I went to the rally, and, yeah, there's, like, uh, Palestinian flags everywhere and just all kinds of nasty, ugly uh, messages, anti-Israel, anti-American. And I just walked around and just went to talk to people and just try to engage them and see what they're all about. And I pretty much came to the conclusion that they, for the most part, full of crap. I mean, they didn't know what they were talking about. They had no real argument. It was just came from just an emotional uh, hatred. So the next protest, so like a couple of weeks later, my friend Alan, who was my roommate in L.A., um, mm-hmm. who got me into Ayn Rand, uh, he right. came to visit, and we decided, why don't we go, and instead of wearing, you know, me wearing my Israeli flag T-shirt, why not go there with some signs that, that will mock the protesters, you know, kind of make fun of all their positions. So we that came up great. with signs, and uh, one of them, yeah, we, we tried to make it look like a real protest sign, you know, like I, I had it on a marker and on the right, white poster right. board, and it was just kind of scribbled down. And, you know, in small letters, it said, uh, except for ending slavery, fascism, Nazism, and communism, and then in really big letters, war has never solved anything. <laughs> so we can kind of walk around with that, and then, you know, you can only really get what we're doing if you get a closer look. Right. Um and then the one I had, I I drew a uh, a little a picture, a cartoon of a Muslim woman in a burqa, and she has a leash around her neck. 
and it says, protect Islamic property rights against Western imperialism, say no to war. Right. I remember that. And then, I remember that, yeah. and then Oh, for, that's terrible. For all, the, uh, for all the Marxists that I was seeing there, we had uh, uh, on the flip side of my sign, it said, communism has only killed 100 million people. Let's give it another chance. And the, let's give it another <laughs> chance is in big letters. That's right. And did so, you name, so you walk into sorry, the protest. And, did you mention you know, the name of your first, uh, organization? I'm sorry, there, sorry. There's, there's a little time delay, I guess, because the uh, time. But uh, did, have you mentioned the name of your organization yet on the air or not? Uh, or you just want Yeah. Oh, because, no. Well, it's called Protest Warrior. But this yeah. is like right before I, I started the organization. Okay. This is okay. kind of us, like, us coming to the realization that maybe such an organization is necessary. So right. right. We, uh, we're walking in with the protesters, and at first nobody, you know, every, we just look like everybody else. And then <laughs> as the people around us start to realize did you, what did our you, message um, is. Did you make sure, Kafir, not to shower or shave for a little while? Huh. Or? <laughs> to really blend in. Yeah. I, I didn't, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't that dedicated, I guess. I okay, like, okay. <laughs> we'll let these Shower, Showers are good. Are worse. Showers are good. Um, and, and they, you know, when they came to realize what we were, what our signs say, you know, they actually started to push us out of the out of the um, the, prog- the, the, the progression, and one of them started pushing me and tried to get me into a physical altercation, and mm-hmm. and and then eventually one of them tried to tear down our signs, and mm-hmm. we were just pretty we didn't know what to expect, and we thought you know this we this can get violent or people might not even notice, but the fact that they're there for a peace protest was was very odd in how you know belligerent and angry and somewhat violent they started to become, you know, toward toward us and our signs. So at the end of the day, we uh, we took some pictures of it just for, you know, memento. And um, I used to listen to this uh, uh, show, KSFO, on, uh, in, in San Francisco. Uh, it was kind of a conservative show. And, and I called, I think I called them or I emailed them the pictures, and they went nuts over the pictures. And they asked us to send me all the pictures, and I sent it to them, and then they asked me to come on the show. And we got a little publicity and I had this idea to make a website, uh, protestwarrior.com, to put up the, the signs that we came up with and the pictures. I just thought the people would find it entertaining and interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, we got a, a, this response. All, all these people in San Francisco who were also fed up uh, contacted us and wanted to join us in the next time we go out. So the next time we went, instead of me and Alan, it was like 30 people. Wow. And Alan wow. and I came up with like, Ten more signs, and this time we brought a video camera to to uh, document the madness. And and, uh, and the signs were looking a little more professional at a certain point, if I if I recall correctly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was making pretty good money. I mean, I was I was working as a computer engineer. I went yeah. to Kinko's and spent like you know a thousand bucks and had everything printed out on these really nice poster boards. Yeah. And, like, I took four posters and I taped them together and I put, like, this really big piece of paper, you know, that we had printed at Kinko's and I had it laminated. And they were, yeah. you know, I had these wooden uh, sticks to put them on. I mean, they were solid so that nobody yeah. could tear them down. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, we, we came to realize that these protests were really just, you know, Marxist and, or socialist, just trying to push this really radical agenda, and the mainstream media was just pretty much glossing over it, making it look like, you know, these are peaceful protesters who, you know, just have a rational dissenting opinion, uh, and completely not the case once you're actually in there in the muck. And we took the video camera and we made some videos on 
you know what the you know what these protesters their signs the things that they were saying and we put it up on our website and uh, things started really you know kind of going from there uh, it was featured on Rush Limbaugh's website and mm-hmm. and um, some other conservative talk, uh, radio shows and their website and I I. I started selling our slogans on T-shirts and bumper stickers. And now I don't I don't know Kafir if you are looking at the chat room that we have over here at Blog Talk Radio. By the way, people are welcome to join in the chat over here. But Robert NYC, a regular listener to this show, says that he has a T-shirt from Protest Warrior, and the one that he has it's a, it's got a picture of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and underneath it says "Right Wing Extremists." <laughs> I remember yes. that. Yeah, I remember that one well. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a beautiful shirt. It's got yeah, yeah. a beautiful portrait of the of the signing of the um, Declaration of Independence, and then it says "Right Wing Extremists." Yeah. Um, so so that yeah, so we we started selling T-shirts and bumper stickers, and actually, honestly, if you if you want the truth, the reason I started doing that is I went to some seminar on how to save money on taxes, and the number one re- way to do it is start your own business. Because you can do all kinds of stuff there to, you know, save on taxes and, and expense things. So I thought, hey, why don't I sell these these slogans on T-shirts? But I had no idea, you know, it would it would be that big. I mean, we were selling enough T-shirts to where I could quit my engineering job and and do this Maybe. protest worry thing full time. Wow. And I, I mean, I had no idea. Yeah. I'm sorry. I knew, yeah, yeah. So, so I knew I knew mm-hmm. I knew you made a lot of noise though. I know uh, some 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 right wing talk show hosts definitely had it. I knew you were, uh, it was it was on the internet. I knew that you had a whole forum. I do remember that. But uh, yeah, wow. just on pro on when we were on Russia's website, within like three days or something, I, I sold like forty thousand dollars worth of t-shirts, that's, and I didn't even awesome. have any of them made yet. I was like, how am I going to? That's make incredible. These? It took it that, took like two months to fulfill those orders. You know, Robert wow. here. Apparently, the T-shirts are well made because he yeah. says he still wears his on July Fourth. Actually, he didn't tell me in what condition it is. It could just be a bunch of rags hanging on his body. But he says he still no, wears it. No, they were high quality. July. We didn't skimp on yeah, that. Yeah. I, I went to a really nice. reputable T-shirt maker in San Francisco. Nice. It was always nice. weird. Every time I got my stuff made in San Francisco, I was always thinking like, oh, they probably think I'm some idiot. You know, they probably hate my guts and they're. They're making the T-shirts for me, but right. you know, everybody was really professional. But anyways, Excellent. so I quit my my engineering job and uh, moved to to Austin, Texas, because um, my girlfriend was really itching to get out of San Francisco. I don't know if you've ever been there or lived there, but it's like freezing, like pretty much all year. Mm. And, Compared uh, to Austin, certainly. Know, <laughs> right. Oh yeah, and I love Austin. I mean, I, I went to school there. She's from there. So uh, we moved you know, back I, to I lived there for one year. I lived there for one year, and, and I do like it, and I definitely like it way better than Houston, but it's hot, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were, you taught at UT. For one year, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, what year was that, by the way? That was 2003, 2004. Ah, okay, I just missed you. That would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyways, I hope, I hope this story isn't too long-winded. Am I? No, not, at, not at all. Not at all. By the okay. way, I'm going to just I'm going to tell people who are tuning in right now. You're listening to Kafir Alfia. He is one of the producers of the new show, The Flip Side, with Michael Loftus, and he's telling us about his story of basically how he entered the world of activism. Yeah. And 
Boy, hardcore I mean, activism. It, it sounds like you did it with the with the bang. Okay, so, and you, so sorry, sorry, with the protest where some listeners no doubt know about. It. I mean, I know I know Robert does clearly. But no doubt, I mean, it was, it was it was famous. I mean, I remember it. Protest Warrior was a great, great thing. So you moved you moved to Austin, and then what? So we started uh, running the website and the organization from there. When I say organization, you're probably wondering, what do you mean? It's just you two guys. Well, all these people wanted to do their own protest warrior thing in their own city, you know, because there were protests all over right. the country. So we we made it easy for people to download our. Uh, signs and or, as PDFs and with instructions on, you know, how to construct the signs and and strategies on how to, you know, uh, be effective in, in you know counter demonstration and all of that. And people started doing. It. I mean, we had people just on their own, you know, take take you know with our with our uh, help and guidance, uh, go do what kind of we were doing and and uh, you know countering these ideas in their own city. And. Wow. Uh, we built a back end, and this is when I started to get into. Um, I did I did some software programming uh, as a computer engineer. So we built this back end that let um, people in the organization communicate with each other. We had a chat room. Yeah. We had a way for people to add their own signs and just make it easy for everybody. And we started getting a membership of like ten thousand people were were signing up within a year. Hmm. And. And we even had we had a, a chapter in Holland, believe it or not, and they were, I mean, they were oh. hardcore. They would, I mean, Holland is is more, you know, Europe is more dangerous to be a yes. like, to do a counter demonstration that is in the U.S. And yes. you know, they were facing a lot more danger. Like, uh, you know, I was getting our, our signs torn up and being pushed around. Uh, they were getting it a lot worse, and they were just, you know, they mm. were awesome. Um, and it, so it started growing, and and and. People were doing, you know, things on their own in their own cities. And then uh, a book publisher, or no, sorry, a literary agent contacted me wanting to do a book. You know, he, he was a big fan of our site, and um, and he was totally legit. He was in New York. He did, uh, he was an editor for the guy who wrote that, the, you know, the movie Election? Um, yeah, It I was know. a book first. Yeah, great yeah. movie. And it was a book for Salzman Press. I was like, wow, this guy's a real literary agent. So we came up with an idea to do a book that's like a field guide for protesters, you know, like nice. chronicling everything that we've done at, at these protests and and oh. uh, turning it into a book. So I wrote a uh, a sample chapter and he shopped it around, and we got uh, the interest of Penguin and Simon and Schuster, and they actually got into like a little bidding war. It was kind of oh. exciting, and yeah. uh, Penguin won. And um, what happened then? Oh yeah. Then uh, we started writing this book. Uh, well, I started writing some of the chapters. That's when things started to get kind of weird with my friend Alan, who who started this you know organization with me, and I've known since I was like six years old. I, I met him in oh, Hebrew wow. school when we were in the first grade. Yeah, and uh, you know, always looked up to him. My you know really really sharp guy, probably the smartest guy I knew in person. Uh, you know, he was also a huge Ayn Rand fan. Um, and yeah, he you know we, we he helped me build this website and 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 uh, you know we're really really close. Well, he started going a little crazy in 2005 when we after we got the book deal. Um, he had, had at some point earlier on he told me uh, he, he, I'm an atheist. He's not an atheist, and you know he never really was. But we always kind of never, you know with our organization we never really let you know. Uh, religion or anything get in you know uh, be a topic or an issue 
Uh, mm-hmm. So we were on the same page on a lot of things, just not on that. Well, like a few months earlier, like a, six months earlier, before we got the book deal, he told me that he was a he, he became a Messianic Jew, meaning he was a you know Jewish, but he believed that you know in Jesus Christ as a Savior, mm-hmm. which you know shocked me. I never really met anybody who was born Jewish who was you know was was mm-hmm. a uh, kind of a Christian like that. So um, after we got the book deal. He, you know, we started writing the book, and then he told me, I know this is, this is going to sound really, really strange and odd. He, uh, and also he was showing signs of just, you know, he was in bed a lot, and he was just, he was, just, I noticed some weird things going on with him. He told me that he believed that he was the um, second coming of Jesus Christ. And no. when I say that, I don't mean that, you know, he had delusions of grandeur. He really believed that that was an incontrovertible fact. Wow. And, of course, I was I was completely, you know, <laughs> blindsided and just in shock. And yeah. I, I was, you know, of course, you know, I'm a, and, and the thing is, he's telling this to, you know, I'm I, an objectivist. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an atheist, objectivist. Right. He's telling me that, trying to convince me of this fact. And that he really is. I, you know, yes, that he really is the second. I mean, and, he he's not he wasn't that far gone that he was just you know uh, blabbering on uh, you know senselessly he was giving giving me reasons I mean they didn't really add up to much but he was trying to argue with me and um, you know I came to realize all right my my best friend and my partner in this whole venture is completely gone mad and um, that's when I realized you know I, I didn't re- protest warrior really wasn't a thing that I wanted to do. Uh, on my own, it was just you know just not something that I was interested in doing by myself. Right. So I, as my friend was going nuts, and and by the way, this whole time uh, Penguin is expecting the book to be written like in yes. five months, oh. and he was supposed to write half of it. Mm. And you know, I came I came to terms with the fact that I'm going to write it on my own, and you know, Alan, you know, he's not going to have anything to do with it, and and I'm probably right. going to shut down Protest Warrior pretty soon, and. He wants to submit to Penguin a completely different version of the book that we had contracted with him to write. Mm. And what he wanted to write was a spiritual odyssey that in his mind, I know this is also going to sound really weird, was going to be like the new New Testament. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I was like, Alan, really? Are you really going to, I mean, can can you just not write anything and just let me handle this book? And he said that he was going to um, send whatever he writes in to Penguin, and then I'm going to write the book that we had contracted, and then he's going to let the editor um, choose, choose, uh, which, one choose is which one they want to publish. Yeah. Huh. And anyway, this whole time, I'm arguing with him, Alan, this is ridiculous, there's no way, you know, if you turn that in, they're probably going to, you know, sue us. You know, this is crazy. You know, this is uh, – but, but it is – and by the way, uh, I came to realize later on he suffered from a massive um, uh, bipolar uh, okay. uh, disease. Yeah, he, he was he had a uh, a textbook extreme case of uh, bipolar disorder. And later on, I realized there was actually other people who had extreme cases who thought they were Jesus Christ or the Savior. So it's not completely. Um, uh, uncommon, or you know, it's very uncommon, but it's it's been documented before with other people. 
Okay. Anyways, long story short, he started contacting uh, Bernadette Malone, our, our editor at Penguin, and um, telling her that he had a different idea for the book. And, and this whole time, I'm, I'm keeping it from, from Penguin that my, my uh, partner is going absolutely nuts because I didn't know how they would react, you know. It's not something right. that you necessarily want to tell. And he starts emailing her, and at some point um, he, re- he tells me, or he showed me, shared me an email uh, that he sent them. He was telling her that he is the second coming. And, and when I saw that email, I'm like, oh, no, no, oh, this is not good. Right. And I assure her, you know, don't worry, my, you know, he's, he's, he's apparently gone nuts, but he, you're, you're not in danger or anything. I'll handle him. You know, I'll get you the book that we contracted, you contracted us to write. I'll write it myself. And a few months later, and this is also when I'm st- I, 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 I finished working with Purchase Word, and I started another company with my brother. We we, we started a, a startup company, and I'm working, you know, during the day until like seven o'clock, um, writing code for this new company. I was I was building the back end, and then at mm-hmm. night I was writing the book. Wow! Um, and I was <laughs> it was it was a little bit stressful. Uh, I finished the book, turned it in. Penguin was, uh, the editor was really happy with it, and um, Alan turned in his book. Uh, it was like a thousand pages, and Whoa. it was, yeah, a thousand. she returned it, our editor turned it back into me, sent it back to me, unopened, and said, here's, you know, here's the book that he sent me. I don't know what to do with it, but here you go. Um, it gets published, and I, I, I kind of break ties with Alan just because, he started going off the deep end, um, getting arrested for things, for petty theft. That also goes with uh, being bipolar. And um, and we get I get the book published. He is completely unaware that the book has got published. And it's probably the first time, I don't know about in history, but probably the first time in America somebody had a book published under their name where they were unaware it was like in bookstores, and and it was wow. Because because oh, no. he was he Googled his name like months later and saw the book, and sent me a nasty email saying I can't believe you you know you let them publish that and blah blah blah. Very very strange time. That's when um, I was thinking all right, I'm getting out of the protest warrior business, and my wife you know uh, my wife my girlfriend she was wanting to get married. And, you know, she was telling me, look, you know, I want to start a family soon, and I don't know how comfortable I am starting a family if you're selling T-shirts and bumper stickers, you know. Right. And, and I was like, okay, maybe it's time I, uh, I, I, I change it up. So my brother and I started a, uh, this company, Maestro, which was a concierge company. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, okay, my goal is, and I think I mentioned this to you, but this whole time I'm doing Protest Warrior and even – when I started school, I always had this idea that the Fountainhead would make a fantastic animated movie. Mm-hmm. And even when I was in school and after I read the Fountainhead, I was going to engineer, back to engineering school, I always was imagining all the scenes that would just be spectacular if somebody made it into an animated uh, movie. Right. So in the back of my mind this whole time, I was thinking my long-term goal is you know, uh, accumulate some wealth and uh, to the point where I can go back and either do something with a fountainhead or do something else that's bigger than just a, you know, this protest organization. Yeah. 
So um, I started the company and uh, with my brother and worked on it for about eight years and didn't really do much activism during that time. I just kind of laid low. Um, I took the money that I made from from the uh, the book and went to Italy with uh, my girlfriend and got married there in Positano. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. And yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, just you know, spent spent the next eight years. Uh, we we got married, started a family, uh, built up this company, um, got some pretty big clients, and my brother and I started investing in other uh, ventures here in Dallas. I was, I, I was living in Austin at the time, and then I moved to Dallas once our company started getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, we bought. Let's we ha- we have uh, we 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 opened up two nightclubs. My brother, that was kind of his venture, but was both partners in that. And uh, we have a restaurant, and we have a, an all-state office. Oh. And then we finally got to the. I finally got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do something. And I started thinking, all right, do I want to do something with the Fountainhead? And by the way, I realized that doing something with the Fountainhead is a completely a long shot. You know, getting the rights, right. uh, raising enough money to make an animated movie is a gargantuan undertaking. And right. I decided, okay, I know it's kind of a crazy idea, but I'm really passionate about this. I'm going to do it. So I hire a... Uh, uh, the guy that actually was, you know, that Holland protest warrior chapter that I mentioned, mm-hmm. those yeah. totally hardcore guys. One of them was this super talented um, artist, uh, painter, illustrator, um, and he actually helped me with the protest warrior book. He did all the illustrations. Um, I told him about the project, you know, the Fountainhead, and I uh, flew him down to Dallas from from Holland, and he's he. Uh, he was pretty much hanging out in my office for like two, three weeks. And I had him do a bunch of illustrations of um, this idea that I had, this concept that I had for the Fountainhead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like images of Howard Rourke and key scenes from the trailer that I wanted to make. And um, superb job. Like he just, I just couldn't believe the illustrations that I had in my hand of the Fountainhead. I was completely blown away. And I, uh, took that and I started working on looking at what is it going to take to get the rights to to the book. And then I came to realize that it's going to be a, a pretty big, messy undertaking getting that. And it was going to take me probably years to get anywhere. And then just, you know, raising the money and the capital, I figured, why don't I put this idea on hold? Um, and do something that I can actually have an impact like now instead of like 10 years from now. Right. And I was just itching to do something. So I was thinking, you know, what are my options? And I just came up with, I was watching, um, you ever seen that show Totally Biased? I know the name. It was on a few, it it ended a few months ago, but it was on every day and it was a weekly show with W. Kamal Bell. No, No. I'm sorry. Anyways. We're out of the loop with television. Nice. We have uh, this Apple TV. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. It's very limited. Well, it's this um, uh, kind of this uh, Daily Show esque uh, show that uh, just talked about you know news, pop culture of the day uh, from a completely leftist slant. I mean, <laughs> they are even more slanted than the Daily Show. Oof. And um, and I, and you know with 
everything that I was seeing on TV with The Daily Show with Dad, I was like, you know what, why can't I, you know, do a TV show and do it from the point of view of, you know, pro-individualism, pro-capitalism, because there's so much out there to lampoon and mock and make fun oh, of yeah. that the left does. Like, it's completely uh, untapped. You know, right. and then that's when I started getting excited about the I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, there's something here. So I started doing some homework on what it would take to put something like that together. And uh, I started looking around for, you know, a host, a comedian. And I saw this right. guy, Michael Loftus. I'm sorry? Right, right. So, you, you know, I was asking, actually, how did you find Michael Loftus? And, and uh, I guess I guess you're about to tell us, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching this show... Uh, on the History Channel, I was either watching it online or on TV, I forget how, um, and uh, it was called American Wise And he had I this guy, that. Michael Loftus. Yes. Yeah, you had this guy, Michael Loftus, going through American history with his own take on 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 all these events in, in U.S. history, and they were hilarious. And he had this thing about the War of 1812 that was really, really funny. Right. And I just liked his style and his he just he just seemed like he had that right mix of, you know, broad appeal, um, right. you know, down home guy, very, very funny, and obviously he his his you know, political leanings are you know, he, he loves this country and he right. has a really funny point of view about, you know, how you know, uh, uh, his take on America. So I mean, he's excellent. I mean, he is. He's excellent, and he's very personable. He's funny. He's he's smart. He's witty, and uh, I mean, I just, I'm really, I mean, I I was curious. How do you find this guy? I mean, he's like a perfect fit for this, and that's that's yeah. I mean, I just got lucky. I mean, look, I'm like a computer engineer. I'm like writing code. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do a TV show. I I I thought there's no way I was gonna be able to get something. You know. because I'm contacting him, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I want to do the show, and and I'm here in Dallas, and I have like pretty much no credentials to do a show, <laughs> and I'm trying to convince this guy that I see on the History Channel. Obviously, he's doing well. I mean, he's got his own hour-long special on the show. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I got the hoots, but contact <laughs> this guy and assume that he wants to what, do something. And what do you say? I mean, what, I'm curious. What did what did he say? Uh, when, uh, when it turns him. out he was very keen and on the idea of doing something like that as well. He has been thinking about that too. You know, why isn't wow. there a comedy show that comes right. from the other side and, and so forth? So I think just that, that fact that I was, you know, speaking his language, he got really yeah. excited and he was like, all right, let's see what we can do. So we put together, you know, a pilot. Um, and, and I was like, all right, what do I need to do to do a show? I need to get a studio. I need to get a set. I need to get a crew, and I started looking into it, you know, what it costs to actually get all this together, and I managed to put it together in a way that, you know, fairly inexpensive, you know, because with a pilot, it's so risky. Like, you know, you you put in that money, and then it can go nowhere. So I had to keep the cost really, really low, and, um, you know, you flew down. We we, uh, got a couple of writers to help out with the material, and we shot the pilot last year, and... uh, took it to a distributor who had this model where, here's the thing, you're probably, 
when I was when I was thinking about it originally, I was like, how am I going to sell this to a network? Because there's no way a network would be interested in showing this because yeah. it's probably going to be too radical for them. And you know, right. uh, it's it, the the ideology alone. No, you know, it's nowhere. It's not going to get anywhere. But then I, it's I found not out leftist. That there's a, it's I mean, not leftist. Yeah. That's all there is to it. It's yeah. not leftist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's leftist. It's not leftist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I found out there's a distribution method that lets you get around this whole problem by doing what they call a barter trade, which is pretty much you give your show away for free to stations, independent stations, and you do individual deals with them. And in return, they give you half the commercial time to do what you want with. So they don't have to spend any cash to have right. new material on their station and they can still make money on it because they can have the commercial time. And then the idea is that with enough uh, with with enough stations, I can sell my half of the commercial time um, and and make enough uh, revenue to to pay for the production of the show. At least, right. you know, I mean, it seems like it can be done. I mean, and other shows have done that. I mean, I'm not pioneering this. This is this is a it's not a very common model, but. Uh, just the fact that that model existed made me feel confident that, you know, it's worth a shot. Right. So we found a distributor who does this kind of uh, distribution model and uh, gave him the pilot, and he shopped it around. And, it, you know, it took him like you know, four or five months. He was able to get like 150 stations across the mm. country to, to sign up for it. And I was pretty blown away. I thought, you know, yeah. and that's like 60% <laughs> of the market. I mean, I wow. thought, you know, if we get 10%, it'll be, you know, impressive. Right. Um, so so that that worked out well. Um, and then a couple of uh, uh, channels on AT&T U-verse and um, Time Warner and Dish Network uh, picked it up so that Excellent. anybody who has Dish Network or Time Warner or, or um, uh, U-verse, We'll, we'll, we'll be able to watch a show. So that was, you know, a, a huge extra addition of potential eyeballs, you know, yep. for, for the show. And then uh, we decided, all right, we have these, these enough, you know, obviously we have enough market to, to take the risk. And we went ahead and started producing the first season, which we're doing now. And, and so I think that brings season, us up uh, to date. <laughs> the, the, the first season is how many episodes? Uh, we are contracted for 18, mm-hmm. and I might, I might, uh, so we're going to have at least that many, if not more, hopefully maybe more like 30 to 40, nice. wow. but we, we, we don't know yet, um, what our revenues are. So we need to kind of wait until like the quarter end to see where we stand. But, right. you know, I'm, I'm willing to risk, you know, we're, we're, we're personally financing everything. And, I, sure. and we're, we're we're willing to risk a little more, you know, because you're not gonna. It's not necessarily the case you're gonna make profit on your first season. It could take two or even three seasons before right. you uh, you get out of the hole. So, right. my brother and I, once we get to the point where we see how much revenue is generated, we're gonna make the decision. Okay, do we want to go forward and risk risk it further, or do we want to, yeah. you know, shut it down? But I guess time will tell. Now, do you get uh, any revenue at all off of YouTube views? Because I know you've gotten a lot of views on a couple of the clips yeah. so far. Well, on the on the global warming. I global mean, warming, yeah, that was up. huge. The global warming clip. 
Yeah, I was thinking we would, and then he, I'm, I'm pretty naive about YouTube. I was like thinking, wow, 100,000 views, that'll help pay for the show. Well, it turns out you need like a million views to like see anything okay. significant. Like okay. 100,000 views will get you, you know, like 50 bucks. Oh wow! So <laughs> yeah, you really have to go like gangbusters on YouTube to, to, to make right. anything. So it. it Unfortunately, YouTube is not a very good uh, source of, of revenue. But, yeah. you know, having guests like uh, Bosch on, like we did uh, last week, certainly yeah. helps. I mean, it's, it's, that YouTube video is, is getting more and more traction. Yeah. Um, I really yeah, think no. that one has a good shot of really going viral. We just need to get picked up by the right uh, yeah. um, outlets, you know. I'm now, if, if people want to check where they can see the show live on their TV, they go to the website for the show, yeah. and that is theflipsideshow.com? Theflipsideshow.com, and then they have the That's right. And then there's a TV listings link on yeah. top you can click on. It'll kind of give you a rundown of how to, how to find your it area, uh, on your time, TV. What channels, right, right. Have you thought about trying to get on Hulu? Yeah, see, um, we 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 looked into Hulu and Netflix and Amazon yeah. and all that. They pretty much won't talk to you until you're like a somewhat of a proven entity. Okay. Okay. So. So. Yeah. So we first have to probably get through a season and and right. establish ourselves, and then they'll then they'll, you know. Because that could be something. To you. I mean, that could be something. Because that's that's what uh, it's that, that's like the future. I mean, you got original content now being. Produced for those, for for Netflix, let's say, and also for Amazon. Now you have original TV shows on there, original movies, and that could oh, be. Oh yeah, a, no, that's definitely outlet. a way to go. Um, yeah, you know, we're definitely looking at that as a possibility. Yeah. But um, yeah, first you have to, uh, you know, I guess prove that you have an audience, and then and then they'll they'll let you in. All right. So so you're telling me that you might have gone your whole life on your merry way as an engineer as a tech guy, a computer guy, and <laughs> you read the Fountainhead, and that kind of made this second path mm-hmm. for you, where you were interested oh, yeah. in not only doing the tech, but then also doing something to actively change the culture, change the culture. try to make the world better, in effect. 100%. If I had not read the Fountainhead, I don't think I would be doing any of this. Uh, Ayn Rand... I mean, after I read The Fountainhead, by the way, I read all of her nonfiction stuff. And eventually I got to Atlas Shrugged. It was funny. My friend Alan would be like, you know, there's this little book called Atlas Shrugged you should really read. Because I never, I kept on postponing reading it. I finally read it. But anyways, by the time I read it, I already knew every, all, the, all the ideas in it. But Ayn Rand 100% inspired me to be, uh, I guess, uh, active in in this, you know, cultural war so, so uh, when you when you she, go back she, when you huh? Kafir when you look huh? back to your childhood you couldn't see something that Rand would have appealed to I mean I think for a lot of us there's something in us that Rand appeals to and maybe makes more explicit and then helps bring out right. but oh yeah if, if, if you if you looked back I mean could you think of something formative in, in your childhood that made you in effect receptive to what Rand had to say Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I have thought about that. I mean, uh, when I was little, uh, in, in you know, in, in elementary school and then in junior high and high, I, I always felt like 
you know, I, I felt a little, I had a little bit more independent ideas than other people. Like, I would have these weird ideas that nobody in my age group was, was having, and I just kind of kept it to myself. Um, yeah, just ideas about uh, morality and and uh, how, you know, why people do the things that they do. And then when I read The Fountainhead, it wasn't such a revelation. It was just like, okay, somebody has distilled much of what I had going on in my head that was kind of unfocused and and not very well articulated in my mind right. in a way that I didn't think was possible. That's why I was so attracted to, to that particular work. Um, and it's definitely been a huge inspiration. I mean, Ayn Rand is just, you know, if, if you know anything about her life, I know you guys obviously do, but once you learn, the more you learn about her, the more you're amazed at what she was able to accomplish. I mean, she, right. the amount of insights that she's had to to our, you know, ex, you know, the existence of of mankind and 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 morality and um, just so many different areas that she was able to you know, penetrate and really get a handle on. Um, this, and, and when she would explain her insights and, and her ideas, she did it with so much care and, and details, and and mm-hmm. she really had such a a uh, an evolved and complete system. That's why when I was in, when I was in UT, I would read the you know these uh, at UT they wouldn't they at the universities in general they wouldn't really have her much in the curriculum because. I think the main uh, the main problem was that she was an, her philosophy was incomplete, right? That's what they would say. But mm-hmm. I mean, hers is the, is the most complete out of any philosophy out there. It just blew my mm-hmm. mind. Well, and and for some people, that is why they don't like her. The idea right. that there's a whole system, systems Life. are are bad or evil in some way. That she has this, yep. but but it it really is true that you can't just kind of take an idea out of nowhere. So, for example, I mean, we could talk about Ebola. Oh, my gosh. Um, what should you do about Ebola? Should you keep the people from well, well, African countries? Dallas. Yeah, you're oh, in Dallas, right, I know. Geez. But, I mean, do you, do, you, do you say, okay, we're going to have a flight ban on people from Africa? And how do you decide such questions? And I would say you can't, except for relying on an entire system of philosophy, figure out what you should do about things like that. And, 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 you know, people like to take questions out of midair and just think that they can answer them without reliance on, on any kind of philosophy. But it's, uh, they're, they're, they are relying on a philosophy, whether they realize it or not, you know, and it can either, it it can either be consistent or not consistent. But they're at the mercy of some, some irrationalities also, which is dangerous, which is what's happening right now. With this, uh, with this story, with Ebola. Mm-hmm. Are have you been worried there in Dallas about it yourself personally? No, not really. I mean, I'm aware of it, and I'm like thinking, all right, is this thing real? Is it as dangerous as that? Is it seems like it might be? But then I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do? Not leave my house or wear a mask right. on my face? You know, I have to. <laughs> right. I, you know, I guess I'll start worrying once it becomes, you know, more obvious that it's it's something to worry about. But, you know, right. until then, there's not much I can do. 
You know, I, I keep looking at the news stories, and so far the only people to whom it's been transmitted are the ones who were right there caring for this guy who was in the really bad stage of the disease and emitting all sorts of horrible, disgusting, gross things. And he knew. And, he brought it here knowingly also. He knew. Yeah, well, there's, there's that as well. Um, so unless and until we see that it's transmitted beyond those people, right, who they themselves, they went in and got themselves isolated before right. they were at that horrible stage of the disease, right? So I'm, I'm thinking at this point we can't really worry about it too much. I want to see, you know, they're watching 800 people who flew on planes or something. And yeah. will any of those people get infected? If some of those people get infected with no real contact with anybody who's very sick, then we start worrying. Yeah. But until then, I I think it's really just a waiting game. And it's it's uh, it's kind of nerve-wracking for me. I actually flew on October 13th, but a very different route than the nurse who was in the Frontier Airlines or whatever. I flew a different airline and a different route. But the idea of, of someone knowing that they were probably sick and getting on a plane, even if they probably weren't contagious at that point, mm you know how how many yeah. people would would do that? Well, um, you you want to you want to hear something kind of freaky? Um, okay, I found maybe. Out, well, I don't know if you do, but um, I'll tell you anyway. Okay. I found out um, at my company there is an employee there who lives in the apartment complex of the guy. I guess the main guy who who died. Ooh. Yeah, and I'm not even allowed to know who this employee is. You know, for you know the HIPAA, HR regulations, um, and I don't. I don't know who it is. But we had to, like, issue out some kind of thing saying, you know, make sure you wash your hands, blah, blah, because we couldn't tell everybody, yeah, there's somebody here who lives in the apartment complex. Right. That, but, but yeah, that kind of hit close to home. I'm like, wow. So, wait, that, this, is, this, is, this is your company, and you're not allowed to know? Because HIPAA? Seriously? Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there are some regulations stating that you know you can't just. Uh, you know what? I'm not sure if I'm not allowed to know, or we're not allowed to tell the employees. But okay. um, I, I'm not, a, I'm not quite sure. But there is some rules saying that you know you you can't just tell everybody, hey, this person, and such and such. Right. I mean, yeah, I've, I've I've seen other similar statements from CEOs of other organizations yeah. that say, well, we can't tell you who it is, and. Or you know we want to preserve their privacy yeah. is the way that they put it. Yeah, the but way they put it. so you're you're under I mean, a legal legal obligation. Not yeah, to yeah. It's some. It's I don't know the particulars, but it's uh, it, it's something along those lines. And if this was like a movie, you know, like Outbreak or something, I'm like next in line. Like this, this would be the <laughs> the progression of the plot would be the, the 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 guy who lives in the apartment complex who works at the company and so forth. Oh my gosh! But well, it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel like a movie, so I feel I feel like I'm, uh, I'm safe. But but I, I think the guy who lives in the apartment complex, if he was gonna get sick, he probably would have been sick by now, right? It's been at least 21 days since yeah, they yeah. isolated that other guy, right? They they took a, they took the other guy into the hospital more than 21 days ago. Now they I've heard recently that they're wondering whether 21 days is fully adequate, but I'm betting 21 days is is pretty good. So there's that. Yeah. Another, but there's another always, question. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. 
No, no, no. I was what I was about to say is inconsequential. Go ahead. Um, I was going to ask you and Bosch because you and Bosch are a little bit more astute with regard to all of the news outlets and kind of political organizations. What do you think of Judicial Watch as any sort of reliable news source? I've gone there myself, and I think it's fine. Some of the stories that I've read. Uh, why? Um, there is a story, and Dredge has got a link to a Washington Examiner link to this story, okay? But it comes from Judicial right. Watch. Don't go to Washington Examiner, by the way. I don't know what kind of computer you run, but I run Mac. And when I go to Washington Examiner, evil pop-up windows materialize. <laughs> and in it has, order... It has good content, but yeah, you're right. No, but it's so weird, like, <laughs> clean your Mac, and if you want to actually yeah. click out of the window, it gives you the second pop-up window, and you have to force quit. Because I won't click on those things. I'm I'm too smart. So here, Judicial Watch, right? They, what they say is that they have some sort of inside story that the whole Ebola thing... D- did you see the term, by the way, that Bosch coined earlier today, which I thought was just brilliant? Yeah. Ebolitarianism? It's it's this whole yeah. idea of, of Obama being this egalitarian and, in fact, egalitarian nihilist. Egalitarianism is inherently nihilist. And and this is what's behind him not closing our borders and that basically putting our people at risk and, in fact, sending our military personnel over there with only four hours of training to deal with the... I don't know what they're supposed to do over there, even. Just, are, are they going there to protect Americans? I guess they're no, going there just to not. catch Ebola. I don't know. Yeah. So this is even worse than that. This is a story Judicial Watch, and it says that Obama plans to let Ebola-infected foreigners into the U.S. for treatment. Why? So not like, oh, well, maybe our protocols won't be good enough and some guy will slip by. Well, We're talking about deliberately bringing in Ebola-infected people we never had Ebola into in the United country. States for we treatment. Never, we never had Ebola in, in, in this country. And Obama wants to bring the world into America in a lot of ways, ideologically, uh, disease-wise. Well, it, it, it kind of makes sense just when you look at all the things that he's done already. It's like, well, yeah. I guess I guess he would do that. <laughs> yes, and then and then Amy actually followed up with one tweet after it, which was uh, I think telling it it's it's a good one because it says, "Is this the thing that might make people think once, for once now about what this guy's up to?" Well, what, and and, and it, well, it's basically how because this is life and death. How, this is no how, longer. Yeah, how how far down the egalitarian road will Obama's supporters? Follow him. Some of them will. Do go they want to follow but, him to the extent of putting their very lives at risk to get Ebola? I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. And I, I don't know. Again, Judicial Watch. I've heard you know mixed things about them in the past, and yet, of course, they're doing some very good things with respect to NSA and stuff like that. But it says that they've learned that the Obama administration is actively formulating plans to admit Ebola-infected non-U.S. citizens, non-U.S. citizens. <sighs> into the United States for treatment. So specifically, the goal of the administration is to bring Ebola patients into that. the United States this, this for treatment is, within the first days of this diagnosis. This guy's job is to do what? Let's forget about why he got into power, why he wants to be in power. He wants to fundamentally transform America. Okay, fine. But what is the job of the president of United States of America ultimately? Bottom line job. What is it? To to protect <laughs> Africans? You know, to protect Africans? To protect Ebola victims? This is This is twisted. Right. And right. that's why I, well, they can't come out and say so. They can't come out and say that this is what they're doing. So I guess Judicial Watch has some inside information. 
Is that, is well, that and, and they're implying that they have multiple sources because they say one source tells us that the Obama administration is keeping this plan secret from Congress. The source is concerned that the proposal is illegal, endangers public health and welfare, and should require the approval of Congress. It was a story. Uh, if our Congress approved it, I mean, we would have to... I don't know. I was going to say mutiny, but mutiny <laughs> is not right. quite the word. I was um, uh, reading Billy Bud recently, so I thought mutiny. That's right. <laughs> no, but there was something. Um, you said something. Damn, I forgot what it was. Anyway, yeah, go on. Well, an, e- an Ebola-affected country would be easier to rule, I would imagine. Maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, look, you, you know, you can't put anything past this guy really when, when it comes down to it, especially in his last two years of of, of uh, power. He'll never have this kind of power ever again in, in his entire life. Never will. And who knows? I mean, he's a bad guy. He's established that already. He's willing to say anything, and therefore he's willing to do anything. So, you know, people who don't put any, who put don't put anything past him or or, or, or do well, that's where we are. Where we are, because everyone say, well, let's give him a chance. As, you know, as, as your poster said, you know, <laughs> killed a hundred million people. Let's give it a chance. Let's let, let's give a guy who was uh, an unrepentant terrorist's friend a chance. Bill Ayers' friend. Right. Let's give a guy who. Yeah, well, let, let, let's give him two chances. Yes, exactly. And that's that's hey, what we Amy, um, on the uh, we're talking about you know taking things out of context and, and a pragmatic approach to you know handling the situation. So, have you been thinking about and formulating in like an objectivist uh, application to this whole situation? Well, I mean, what normally I think an objectivist policy about allowing people in the United States. We would allow people to come freely into the United States, but one of the exceptions to that would be somebody with a highly contagious lethal disease like Ebola. And so, I mean, I would say at the very least, you should require a quarantine in the home country, a provable you know, objectively provable quarantine that took place in the home country before they were allowed to travel here. That's what I would assume. I mean, when we, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but excuse me, I have this horrible cold and I'm making horrible noises. So if you've ever tried to take a dog, for example, to Hawaii, I hear that they have tremendous quarantine requirements that when you bring the dog there, it's got to be in some quarantine kennel for weeks and weeks and weeks. We do that when people just want to bring dogs. Here, are, these are people, you know, and, and they've got a disease right. that is killing over half the people who get it. Yes. And from what I understand, oh. you know, I, I was watching little clips of congressional hearings. There are, I think, either four or six beds in the whole United States, only four or six beds capable of properly treating Ebola patients without infecting the whole rest of the hospitals. So if he even brings a couple people here, and then there's a couple people here in the United States who have it, suddenly we've used up all the beds, and then what if one more person gets it? They're out of luck? But that's the thing. It's like, he does this, right? I think the country will say, okay, this guy, he is what we feared he was. He is doing what we feared he would do. I mean, he is out to get us. Because it doesn't make sense. He's willing to risk our health and safety and lives in order to do that, to help Africans to come here. Because he, because as Michelle Obama said, from his homeland of Kenya, right? No, but this is uh, this is this is scary. But this is when people start questioning his loyalties here and actually what he what he's been up to. Is this the culmination of it all? I mean, is this it? 
Yeah, I mean, here's... Bringing people here to jeopardize our health. Right. I mean, so, so the idea is, in terms of should we panic at this point, I don't think so, because, again, we have not seen any casual transmission well, I'm saying, sorry, of, I, of this. The right? bottom line is he knows right, right. it's not about protecting Americans. It's it's about right now helping some people that we have no yeah. authority over. I, w- I, was, no... I was speaking about this with students at the school where I'm, I'm teaching, and one student was saying, well, if we cut off all travel, it's going to be very harmful to the economy <laughs> and the blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm, uh... I'm thinking, you know, that, look, the left keeps saying if we if we stop travel, then it'll spread more. How? How? <laughs> and it'll spread more here or there, and how? Right. How? Right. But go on. No, it's 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 absurd. But it, so it's it's pushing this egalitarian idea, and then you almost have to kind of you know bring a little reality check to the person. You say, look, um, if you get this. Over half the people who get this disease are going to die, and there's only a limited number of people who can properly be treated for the disease yeah, at will, one time. And it's super that. expensive. Yeah, but Obama's will, willing to live with that. You know, he's willing to live with that with that reality. So, but so, how much how much is he really in control of everything that the CDC is up to, and all the people, like actually individual people involved, whose you know, job it is? Well, he's a, he's, I mean, there's always so much control he has. I know no he doubt, has an influence, no doubt. No, but no, but he's a power monger, and he has control over these agencies, no doubt about it. And then he makes sure that he, he controls the head of those agencies, and then they control the rest. I mean, he is a totalitarian. I mean, he's a frustrated dictator is, is what he is. No, I understand that, and, and I totally, you know, completely agree with you. But you would also have these have to have these, you know, people who are actually implementing whatever – Whatever strategy that they're doing, somebody has to implement, you know, the actual front line. Are they being, just being, you know, just doing exactly what they're told? Nobody is questioning anything, and they're just kind of going along with it? I will say this, though. This is six years into Obama. Imagine the corruption. Imagine the kind of people that have infested these agencies. Imagine the nature of these people. Well, and then and then you hear about the new Obama czar that they're appointing, you know, and the literally, Ebola on, czar. They actually has, refer has, to him as has, a czar. Yes. No medical, no health background, and he was a key player in Solyndra, which <laughs> this is yeah, was that total is failure. Strange. No, but, no, but that's what that tells you right there what, what he's up to. He's not getting the best people. He's getting cronies. He's getting some hacks. He's getting some rats, some hardcore leftists who hate the country like he does. And uh, this is not, you know, I think this is something that is making people wake up to some extent. I think this. I mean, look, we you know. I've been telling my, I've been telling myself for, for years, like, well, is this going to be the thing? Is this going to be the thing? Yeah, yeah, but this could only be to be thing. disappointed in that. Oh yeah, it, 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 this, it gets brushed under the rug, yeah. with, you know, by the media. Is Benghazi going to move on to the next one? Is the NSA? Is the IRS? You know, and then you got this scandal after scandal after scandal, and this guy survives it because well, of it's going to have to be whatever it is that finally people say, all right, this guy is is dark. Something yeah. really big is going to have to happen where a lot of people are going to have to feel the pain. It's yeah. And then get them out of the Because it doesn't really, if it doesn't really affect you, are like, eh, you know, what do I care? Yeah. Until I'll it actually it. hits you at home. Right. And, now, and, let me, and maybe, this is, maybe this is the one to do it. I mean, I hope maybe. not, but maybe this is it. Let me let me ask you a question back to the flip side again. We're talking to Kafir Alfia. He's producer of The Flip Side with Michael Loftus. And would you guys do... 
sort of tasteless Ebola jokes. So, for example, I could say, um, gee, you know, Obamacare might actually cost as much as they said it was going to cost with half the people dead from Ebola anyway before they can even treat them. Um, something like that where it's just, you know, really dark and morbid and yeah, but I don't, black. But I mean – you know, compare can answer, but I don't. I don't see a lot of doing that. I just don't. Well, what, yeah, especially I, was, I don't know. I, I was we're reading trying, the Washington Times. More upbeat. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say mean, I was reading the Washington no, Times. He wants to be positive. Yeah, but no, but it, I think he has a natural positivity about him. I mean, he did an interview with me, right? And I'm talking. I'm saying things that are considered not just controversial but evil, and we're having a civil conversation about it, back and forth, bouncing back and forth. And you know, I'm so used to, to speaking this way for years, but people look at it like. They still can't quite believe the things coming out of my mouth, but <laughs> I felt—I mean, they do. They—they they just can't believe it. But um, I felt at home. Yeah, I I know that, yeah. Your interview was pretty, pretty heavy. I mean, we're talking. It was pretty, very I mean, serious. Def- definitely, def- you know what? This and one's and, and you make point. a good point. Uh, you make a good point, Amy, because we're living in a time right now where, you know, if you've got your eyes open, we're in really bad shape. I mean, yeah. really bad shape. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want to be upbeat, you can be, but you're going to have to be. A, there's a little naivete that's required to to really be thoroughly upbeat right now. You so work. we kind of go back and forth on that because you know, because we nobody wants to watch a show where you know you're just telling all the things that you need to be freaked out about and worried about. So mm-hmm. there's a there's definitely a balance, and we're we're. Still working on finding that that balance because you know you go one you go completely one way or the other it's just you're not really being realistic. Yeah. You know you know there's a segment where he shows the pictures and he makes the the, the funny comments about them and he, there's got to be something with a hazmat suit there has to be something but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you are you you you're like pitching a, a dark? No, evil I'm just I'm just thing. I'm no, but you know in in a way I'm saying I mean, that. I mean, so you want you want I, you want the dark jokes? Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. Well, okay, no, no. What what I what I would not that there's anything wrong with that. What no? But what I would what I would like to do what I would like to do is to be able to laugh about this as if it's insignificant. That's what I would like to do. The fact is, people are dying. Oh, I see. That's the whole thing. You know, people are dying, and that's why I think just you can't. I mean, I just can't, but who knows? Well, and and that and also Obama's state of mind or his attitude towards American people. I don't even think I can laugh about that anymore. it's indifferent publicly, but behind the scenes, who knows what this rat is saying? I mean, who knows what he's saying, him and his whole gang. But he's showing indifference to our health and safety. The, The other question is, Kafir, have you thought of it being just a diversion from ISIS and... Obama's either deliberate or inadvertent foreign policy failures. Well, you're saying the the the, the Ebola issue as is a diversion. Convenient diversion. I mean, I haven't seen ISIS beheadings on the front page for I don't know how long. But this is making him look bad too. Normally, normally I would say no. You know, I'm not really a conspiracy guy, but with Obama, I just I know he's dark. I just don't know how dark it really goes, and that's mm-hmm. what. Is is kind of creepy about the whole thing. When you when you, you say know, that, like, I mean, like, I, like Bosch was saying, just uh, item after item after item that, on its own, would 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 completely um, you know uh, ruin a president just on its own. You have this guy, you know, just stacking them up. 
Yeah. I mean, he's just, you know, when I say, I say things about him, I say, well, look what we know about him. Imagine what we don't know. And, yeah, you have to speculate there, but imagine how he is behind the scenes. I mean, I just... Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, imagine, like, well, all we know is what's come to the surface yeah. after probably very exactly. vehement protection and prevention from, every, from, exactly. every, from anything surfacing. Just imagine what, what hasn't surfaced. Exactly right. And that's the thing. It's bad on the face of it. Imagine behind behind the mask. I mean, it's just, it's 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 shocking how ugly it is. Now, Kafira, if you want, I want to give you the opportunity to, to sleep, but otherwise I did have one more question for you about the flip side. Sure, sure. And by the way, to your first question, I think we do have some bit up with the hazmat suit, and I'll make sure, you know, Michael does a wink-wink in the <laughs> camera when, when, he does, when he says, just for you. Cool, cool. <laughs> and I'll say, that's wink. that wink is for me. That's awesome. That wink is um, for you to help you feel better about it. That's yeah. right. That's right. And uh, so, so here, here's the thing. In, in terms of producing the show, just the technical aspect of of putting on, what has been the biggest challenge for you so far, and and, and especially an unanticipated challenge? You mean an episode or in uh, general? Yeah, just turning okay. turning out an episode. Yeah. Everything from well, getting every- something that was totally unexpected <laughs> when I was putting the pilot together. It was the set, that damn set. Because I was originally going to do something like painted on a backdrop and like fake it. And then the more right. I thought about, you know, because building a real set is really expensive, you know. So I was like, I'll do something on a backdrop. And the more I thought about it, I was like, this thing is going to look ridiculous. Like a backdrop is going to look totally fake. <laughs> you know, people are going to watch it. And it'll look like, uh, you know, like public access show. So then I decided, all right, I have to build a real set. So I found this guy online, I just did a Google Google search, you know, set designer Dallas. This guy worked on the, you know, the Dallas show, it was it was remade like two years ago, you know, shot right. here in Dallas. The set designer for that, for the Dallas show, I like sent him an e- I saw his resume, I sent him an email, I'm like, hey, I'm doing this little budget show, I need your help, blah, blah, blah. He like agreed to do it on like, you know, pennies on the dollar of what he normally charges. Mm. And we, we set up, we, we created the set design like, you know, I told him what I'm looking for, and we went back and forth. But building this thing, oh, my God. Uh, it, was, it wasn't it was even ready by the time we were ready for, uh, to shoot the pilot. We we spent, like, 48 hours before we shot it, six uh, putting it together, building it. Like, some parts weren't even built yet. Like, the, the day we shot, that 5 a.m., like, three hours before we were going to start to shoot or four hours before we were going to start to shoot, I was, like, on my knees, with a paintbrush in my hand, finishing wow. the final thing like that that holds the TV. And at that point, I was like, "What the hell am I doing with this pilot? This is ridiculous." I'm like hours away from shooting it, and like I haven't even finished the set. <laughs> I know you're probably you're probably hoping for a different aspect of the show, but no. man, getting that set ready was 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 a challenge. But looking back, is you know it's kind of an adventure now. It's, but it's, another it's, aspect it's of the show, I guess. Set. It's, I was going to no, say, it's, it's a funky set. You've gotten mixed reviews on it, right? On the set? Yeah, because it kind of looks like a, like, a, like an Applebee's, you know, when you're, when you know, All the right. restaurants that try really hard to create, you made, you, to create you a, a little an atmosphere. That. You made right. a little riff on that with the waitress coming by and right. dropping off some food. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, well, cause I think somebody said, hey, what is this? You guys are building an Applebee's set? Or, and then we just <laughs> kind of ran with it. They're like, yeah, you know what? It is an Applebee's. You know, we like That's it. Funny. Right. Um, 
But, man, just getting enough material to stretch out the 22 minutes and, and making sure it's good, you know, because comedy is subjective. Um, you know, what what you find funny, somebody might think is stupid and the other way around. So getting a sense for that and and then once you, you've read the material over and over again and, and keeping and, and not having your mind go numb on, is this is this working? Is this Does this need to be funnier? Is this, you know, that's probably the most difficult thing, you know, especially since it's not really my uh, background, you know. I'm not a comedian. I'm not a TV producer. I'm a, you know, kind of an engineer, which is probably the worst background you want for doing a comedy show. But, That's right. you know. I guess no, a lot I'm, of it, still, I'm still standing. It's still, it's, we're, we're, you know, we're still standing. So that's a good thing. Right. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the best stuff that I've seen in there, it's always, uh, uh, it's always something true, something true. Like, like, like with the thing, why Republicans suck that one uh, opening monologue, because it, it's true. And then he made it funny on top of that. And that's important. I mean, with, with, without that, without the, without that truth, it really doesn't work. Those, those type of things. Yeah. Also, no, that, also that's a great point. point. Yeah. Cause we, we, we we definitely keep that into consideration. No um, we've got a couple of other monologues that I'm pretty excited about that were that I, one of them I already wrote and the other one I'm going to do for a future episode. I want to do one on uh, on Uber and their their like totally epic battle against you know local government regulations. It's just awesome. Right. And I think yeah, I'm really excited about that one. Excellent. But, um, so far, I'm having fun. Excellent, excellent. It's a fun show. Yeah, I mean, definitely yeah. entertaining. I mean, I I watch myself, and uh, definitely I was on and I enjoyed it. But I definitely watch myself. I look forward to it. I think well, I think it's great. Uh, I I can't tell you having Bosch Boston be a fan of the show. Is, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really. I, I wish really I could enjoyed. retire now on that note. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but thanks for making it. Seriously, it's um, it's important that it's out there. It really, really is. Yeah, thanks for doing this, and and it and it seems like you're off to a really good start. Yep. So if you can keep up this pace, yeah, wow, I'll do my best. I promise you that. And and Bosch, yeah. thanks for, and Bosch was uh, you you saw his his interview. He just knocked it out of the park. Uh, I love being there. I, I don't know if, if there's ever been that distilled and 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 you know unadulterated commentary on Islam Islam broadcasted on television before. That was just incredible. Yeah. Probably not. Probably and and not. as I understand it, the clip is still doing well, yeah, still doing well. out there. Now, uh, in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, Levi says clip of the flip side is trending on Live Leak, but that might be the clip of the uh, global yeah, warming, probably, right? Probably. It could be. And then he thinks, but why would it be on Lively? Lively is more, it seems like the, the Bosch interview would be more their uh, cup of tea. It is on Lively. Levi, if you're still over here yeah. in the chat room, to tell us which clip it is. Maybe it is because um, Andrew, Andrew just, up there is talking about Bosch's interview, so maybe it's that clip. I just really appreciate the opportunity awesome. to, to speak about it on in that kind of context in a, in, a, in a show and also the questions, and they just sparked these answers left and right, and I gotta say, it is a it is one of the best distillations of my position on Islam, flat out out there, and it's just it's great to have out there. That's all. I really appreciate it. It looks like you yeah. also did a good job, uh, you know, prepping your guests and stuff too, which oh, yeah. speaks to the success of the show. I so. think I interrupted him though, as I do on as I do on Amy's show. I think I, I interrupted Michael at least once, twice. You know, he was <laughs> asking me a question, I just jumped in. Uh, that's my want. Poor Michael. Well, it, it keeps it. <laughs> 
it keeps it lively. It makes it seem, you know, yeah. like, hey, this is a real conversation right. going on. Right, right, right. Well, we thank you very much, and um, good luck for well, the... Well, I hope I didn't take too much of a chunk of your uh, two-hour block there. We we enjoyed it, and we Very already enjoyable. spoke about one of our news topics. And I'm going to go I, – I'm kind of getting into this idea more of minimalism. I'm not going to try to do 15 yeah. topics every single show anymore. And, and <laughs> Focus and, yeah. Although although maybe sometimes we're going to have to go through a few at, at a quick rate. But thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks for being and here. And, again, tell people they can go to theflipsideshow.com, yep. right? And there they can find the stations, their local stations that carry the show, or they can yep. watch episodes on yep. the uh, the site itself. Right. But we would right? prefer you watch it on TV. More eyeballs yeah. on TV, Absolutely. the better chance we have of surviving. Right. So basically what we need to do if we want, because I, I think it might be on at 1 in the morning where I am. Yes. Maybe we just need it's to. Five thirty, seven thirty. All, all the, no, all, no. All, all you the, guys, look. Stuff. If you guys, you know, if it, if we'll, it we'll find it. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have no, to but, find it. No, but, but, but it is on five thirty we'll and seven thirty. Also here. Just uh, turn on the TV, keep it silent, and sleep, right. <laughs> and then that's watch right. it. That's right. <laughs> and then, and then uh, buy whatever they're hawking in the one eight hundred commercial. On the one eight hundred ads. Okay, so I'm gonna have my house full of. Yeah. <laughs> so much for the middle of them. Okay. Well, listen, thank well, you, thank you guys thank for you. having me on. I had a blast. Thanks. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, uh, having me on. This is awesome. Sure. The, thank uh, you. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but I listen to your show. I pretty much listened to every show since like two months ago, three months ago. Okay. And wow. um, huge fan. I mean, huge fan of you of your work. Excellent. Thank you. We Keep appreciate up the fantastic it. Work. Vice versa. Thank you. Mutually reinforcing. So take care, and we'll talk to you. Okay. Take Bye. care. I'm going to go get some sleep. we got rehearsals tomorrow, so I need to get some rest. All right. I'll, I'm I'll jealous. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> Bye. Have fun. Take care. Uh, so thanks to Kafir Alfia. He is, again, producer of The Flip Side with Michael Loftus. And go to theflipsideshow.com to learn more about that. Now, we have, Bosch, a few topics that we should at least try and get to. My appearance on the flip side? Your appearance on the flip side. I think we've covered that. <laughs> if you have not gone yeah, to check it out. Bosch's, go to... I think you'll appreciate it. It's about where, seven minutes long. Where Where did you share it last? On your uh, Facebook? On your Google? Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it's on the top of my um, blog, uh, faustin.blogspot. And it's a, it's a seven-minute uh, interview. My oh, Levi says the one that's trending is the one on Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, excellent. Oh, okay. So Good. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Good. 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 Because that means uh, another one will go viral. Right, I mean, that right. the more of the clips that from this show that go viral, I say the better because this show, you know, one of the things that they pointed out in the Washington Times piece on the show, this show will not bash America, will yeah. not push socialism. In, in effect, I really do see this show as helping to reinforce whatever uh, is left of the American sense of yeah. life. And it comes off as such. It, it comes off as yeah. that. It's tough. You know, it's 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 hard criticism against those who deserve it. It's light, it's funny, and um, it's important. It's, it's important to to have it out there. So, Bosh, since we last had a show, you have sent me a million yeah. stories. I mean, not a million, but it may as well be a million. And of course, I tried to make up for the fact that we missed the show last week. I wrote a few right. news sandwiches. If you go over to newsandwich.net, you can see what I did to make up for the fact that we didn't have a show last time. I'm hoping to get back and and, uh, write some more of those again. 
<laughs> Bosch is giving me some signs here. Will I get sick if I drink this? Oh, will you get sick if you drink that water? You may. See, maybe you want to drink this water okay. and not drink that water. Okay. Because I am. I'm, I'm a walking pile of germs. But as far as I know, the germs that I have are not Ebola-like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can get other kinds of crud that can really mess you oh, up. And doesn't have the Ebola. I, I think I'm actually on the mend. I really do. Um, horrible stories out there. Okay, we've got Carl Rove. It is revealed, covered up. The fact that there were weapons of mass destruction, chemical end? weapons in Iraq. To what end? I mean, because the left used used it as a bludgeon at the near end of uh, of uh, George Bush's presidency, and uh, they got they had a supermajority, they had the House, they had the Senate. They bring in Obama and bring in Obamacare, and that was part of it because they kept calling Bush a liar, 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 and the idiot allowed the quote unquote architect of the destruction of the GOP to hide it. Why? Why? I, I would I would hope that this is the end of his career I, I and of so. all the bushes behind him. I no just, more bushes. N- enough. Enough. As president, thank you. The other fat candidate, uh, Jeb Bush, is trying to run, and also Chris Krispy Kreme, eater eating, disgusting. Uh, we we are going to be doing a little bit of hit and run here, and it's based on Bosch. All these awesome stories that you sent me. By the way. I had a really good conference. I did get sick from the conference. I didn't get sick till the day I was traveling back yeah. from the conference on Monday. That's when I started feeling this whatever credit was. But yeah, as you know, if you listen to the last show, I was lecturing at the Undercurrent Student Conference that Brittany Fay Rivera had organized. And it was just such a great group of lecturers, too, and a great mm. group of students. And, for instance, in Greg Salmeri's lecture on Ayn Rand's Theory of Rights, I learned some new things that I was able to integrate with some of my approaches on privacy, which I ended up, you know, I, I, sat, I sat through lectures both through Saturday and Sunday, and then Sunday afternoon is when I gave my first lecture. So I was tweeting oh, a lot. And, um, what do you say? No, sorry. Uh, that's when you got sick after that? Oh, I, I didn't get sick till the Monday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't start getting sick till Monday. I, you know, I, th- I think your body does that sometimes too. You keep Stay yourself too. healthy right. until the time that you know you're right. basically done with your big duties and then you let yep. yourself be sick for a while. Right. So, yeah. In any event, I yeah, I gave a lecture and apparently it was a, a big hit and I had a really good time, met a lot of good students, saw a lot of great lectures from good people and, and I think they're thinking of doing this again next year. So that was a hit and a success. And you had the wonderful, you know, appearance with the show. You've got over uh-huh. twelve thousand views now on, on views YouTube. On, on, on YouTube, which is great. And then we found out through a quirk today that on your Google Plus page your Google Plus page has been viewed over 10, 10 million, million times. times. <laughs> and a part of me is like, this is a typo, this is a mistake. This, and then someone says, well, what I think what they're doing Google Plus is that they're um, having viewers or people who view it, who view the whole page as, as uh, I guess. Viewing multiple times? But still, Weird. That, that would mean it's still a ton of people. That would still mean that. So I don't know. I mean... I'm a, I'm a struggling artist. If I had that many people who actually invo- you know interested in my work and got my work, right. I, I wouldn't be struggling as much as I am. So I don't know what that's about. Ten million views. Ten million that's how many views, views I want though f- um, for the flip side interview. Ten right. million. I think I'll be so, I'll be you know. By, by the way, if I'll you if you have not yet shared yeah. that clip with friends of yours on social media, please do. 
That would be great. I would if appreciate you it. If you haven't seen it, I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's more well, or less what I what I normally say, but I, I think uh, you know, on when you're on your feet, when you have questions, you say things slightly a little differently. And I think that's what happened there. It was really I enjoyed it. I mean I I think it's a great snapshot of my position. It's about it's about a seven minute seven clip minute, or so. Yeah. Right. And it so, was So so check it out. If you like it, share it wherever you can. With any friends, social media, email, whatever. I would appreciate it. The um the other issue we need to talk about is care launching an Islamophobia website. Basically trying to reveal whoever it is in the so called Islamophobia network. Yeah. They're scared now. No, they are. Them, Reza Aslam, because now you got Bill Maher mainstreaming criticism of Islam and not backing down whatsoever, week after week after week. And this is part of it. I think they're like they want to clamp down hard now. And uh, it's not going to happen. I, I don't see a Bill, Bill Maher shutting up. I'm not shutting up. Others are, are going to come out more so now. Um, it's interesting times. I mean, because um, I don't know. I think what they're doing is they're they're afraid right now because Islam is getting is getting criticized by name, Islam, and not 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 the other crap names, not the other Islam misnomers. My Islam. thought, my thought is that they're basically trying to put a website out there and saying, okay, okay here are, here are the most wanted infidels. Absolutely right. There, it's it's yeah. like a wanted poster website. You're right for ISIS and others because the stealth jihadists set you know want to set us up for the hardcore jihadists, and they, again care whatever. Whoever out there has seen them, they're not a civil rights group. They're a a group sent here to shut us up by Hamas. They're a Hamas-based group, Muslim Brotherhood linked. They're here to shut us up. And uh, the, the way you fight them is by telling tell the truth about them. And you know there are currently five members, four members of their of their organization who are in prison for terror-related activities. Of course they are. Right. Of course they are. And uh, I have a version of them in my comic called uh, "Your Muslim Friends," and my hero calls them YMFers. You, you know, right, anyway. Right, right. Um, but just, just to kind of say, you know, tell basically that they're putting this, in effect, wanted, most wanted poster out there. That's exactly on it. the web, and that's that, exactly that's, that's, that's a perfect way of looking at it. That's the way I see wanted it. Wanted posters of the the biggest mouths, as far as I'm concerned. And and so, so then the question that you would want to ask is: Is where the hell am I is this, on that website? Oh, <laughs> is is it inciting? Is it inciting to violence? Uh, and if yeah. it, if it is, then it's not part of free speech. If well, it isn't, and that's the question. I have not looked at the website. Well, so we'd have to take a look if at the you're website. Born of Hamas. That's that. That's that's it. They mm-hmm. worked with the FBI to, to some extent, and the FBI lied and said they don't work with them anymore. They still do. They lie to us. Right. So there's that issue. There's the issue of countries voting to recognize a, quote, Palestinian state and thinking that they're at all part of the civilized world or worthy of respect. The, uh, Sweden's done it yes, now England, and the U.K. Yes. now. And now I think the whole thing is just it's a sick, twisted thing. It's so cartoony, but I think they're saying we're not racist by doing that somehow, some way. That's what they're saying. Look, we're not racist officially somehow, as if Islam is a race. As if, I mean, it's just... I think that's what they're doing. I think they're trying to go on record. We are not racist. Look, look, we're for a Palestinian state. What have the quote-unquote Palestinians done to deserve a state, to earn a state? Nothing. Zero. They're savages. And the, the only decent ones got the hell out and went to Israel and are living decent lives. Right, right. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about Ebola and egalitarianism. And, and just to kind of 
you know, clarify the, the thinking in my mind. There's a couple ways that I think egalitarianism could play into this. One is the really sinister interpretation of what Obama is up to, and it is that, well, everybody should have an equal chance of getting Absolutely. Ebola. Right? No, but, no, hold on a second. Why should Americans be immune from that? You know, it's time for America to do to get what the world's gotten. No doubt so that's, that's part of it. So that's the really dark, pessimistic interpretation. Well, it's the true the, one, the, considering who we're talking about. At the, at the very least, the egalitarianism that plays into this is that basically we can't basically shut off commerce to countries less fortunate than yes, us. Yes, And it's not that I actually want Americans to get Ebola. I'm, t- I'm speaking as Barack Obama, but I'm not trying to interpret, you know, <laughs> to be a, 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 a impersonator at all. But it's not that I want Americans to get Ebola, but it's that I don't think that we can fairly deprive them of the chances of commerce in the international fear that Americans have and you know since we have such wonderful medical technology we are able to shoulder the burden of the little tiny bit of risk of Ebola being transmitted to our country you can hear Obama doing this right oh, this course. is this is the egalitarian in him so at least there's that going on and egalitarianism as Jerome Brook has so eloquently discussed many times uh it is nihilistic in the fact in, in the fact that to make people equal to make us have equal trading opportunities with any of these african countries that are ebola stricken we have to put values of ours at tremendous risk we have two nurses already in dallas well they're not in dallas right they've been flown to atlanta right. and to maryland but two dallas-based nurses who are fighting for their lives. As far as I know, one of them is in good condition. I don't know what the state of the second one is. You know when they might take it seriously, at least outside of Obama, Washington, if a politician gets it. Then all of a sudden, okay, cut down the no, – no more flights from there. You know what I mean? If a politician gets this, right. a, a Democrat gets Ebola, then it's, then, then, then it's case closed. Okay, now we have to stop this. Over here in the chat room, John was pointing out that 5% of the cases and deaths in West Africa from Ebola are healthcare workers. Mm. So if your idea is, well, you know, we'll have a few cases here, and it's our nurse's duty to treat them. It's our nurse's duty to undergo this risk. Also, you know, he's bringing, like, military, he's bringing in some forces, and he mm -hmm. says, how how do you put it? He says, the uh, system's working. If it's working, why would you have that? Mark Levin brought it up the other day. If it's working, why do you have all these? Why do you have our military going there? Why do you have this, this? And then he says, if they do the right thing, meaning he's criticizing doctors and nurses. You know, they didn't do the right thing. Something, they must did something wrong. So he's basically his thinking. He, he's basically saying, and, and this is what well, I think well, he's saying. Well, he's, he's Doctor Obama. He, he's I mean, saying he's that if Obamacare. if if everybody follows a procedure a hundred percent to the letter all the time, which never happens, Some, and, and also which never happens, something that he never does. About anything, but go on. Right. And with a little bit of luck, then everything would go as he wants it to. In but this utopian thing he, that he has. He is basically calculating in his mind yes, a few Americans Absolutely will die. Will. But Absolutely right. And, and this is something that the student I was speaking to the other but, day was saying. She was saying, 
we're the United States of America. We help the world. We don't close off to the world. That's what we do. And I said, well, maybe that's what we've done for the last several decades. But that is... At our expense. For what reason? For what purpose? You're right. They're willing to live with our deaths. Barack Obama. A certain, and, a certain and number of deaths. I mean, yeah, not him, not his family. No, no way. No. Sure. But and no body politicians. You, your family, maybe a risk, and a 5% risk. We're willing to risk us, we're willing to sacrifice us for what? Multiculturalism? For what? For And Africa? that's a 5% risk if you're adequately protected. I'm, I'm hoping that no more healthcare workers, and certainly not that person who's on the cruise ship, gets ill. As far as I know, there's only two so far, and we haven't seen transmission beyond that. So, are we in the state of where we should be panicked about it? No. And and There's the other also thing I want I did I did want to mention one thing too. The um the yeah, other could be that equality yeah. of the races. But the, you know the L.A. Times had that story where they said, oh well, this person who used to be a scientist working with Ebola said, well, you can't rule out the idea that Ebola could get transmitted by the air, and uh, so therefore. LA Times makes a big thing out of it. You can't rule out is not an argument at all. There's there's not a shred of evidence so far as we know right now that Ebola can transmit from person to person other than this horrible contact with yucky fluids from the body of the really sick person. So we don't Let's say we, we haven't seen that yet. Now if we see it, okay, fine. But I'm I'm sitting here saying, okay, we're not in a state where we should be panicked. However, we still need to have a president who cares about our people enough to close off travel from these countries but or enforce a strict quarantine before they can travel. The fact that he hasn't proves, I think, beyond a shadow of doubt, that he doesn't give a damn. Right. And that's what I, I think America's like, wake up to that. Like, it's not Obamacare. It's Obama does not care. Obama doesn't care, period. Doesn't give a rat's ass for our health, for our safety, for our freedom, nothing. And, and I and, think this is coming out more than any other reason to, to Americans in general. Those who haven't really paid attention, those who are, as as a friend put it, those who have been in the trance. This is waking them up. Like, wait a minute, this guy really doesn't give a damn for us at all. Right. He's willing to risk our lives for what? For these ideals that he has about multiculturalism, political correctness, Africa. So I think we've. Definitely try to make clear his connection between his egalitarianism and his policy on Ebola and how nihilistic it is. Uh, something else that I did want to mention was Ben Shapiro's excellent, excellent. video. Um, he's got a video out on YouTube, and it's called The Myth of the Tiny Radical Muslim Minority. And I've actually posted that video along with the video of Bosch's appearance yeah, yeah. on Flipside. Cool. It's over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. So if you haven't watched either of those, go watch and them. And Ben Shapiro's uh, website, The Truth Revolt, uh, put a whole piece on my uh, appearance on the flip side. It was great. They did a really nice yeah, write-up. Really nice write-up. Really nice write-up. Got a lot of traction. It was very nice. But in Shapiro's video, what he talks about is he integrates the population numbers, the Muslim population numbers of the various Muslim countries. And he doesn't go through every single Muslim country, but he goes through at least a dozen of them. At least. So he's adding up the numbers. And then he's looking at, according to Pew Research polls, about the so-called radical beliefs 
that are held, you know, whether it could be that in this place a certain percentage condone honor killings or in this place a certain percentage, right, killing apostates or uh, death penalty for people or prosecution at least for people who criticize or draw cartoons of Muhammad, right? So all the, you know, where people have Sharia-tied radical beliefs. In some places, it's just in the abstract. It's they believe that Sharia law should be imposed, right? So what percentage? So he goes through, and in a lot of countries, it's two-thirds of the population, the Muslim population, holds a radical belief like we should have Sharia, we should condone honor killing. I mean, simply it's an Islamic belief. We call it radical, but it's a simple Islamic belief. Right. And And a lot of them are Muslim in in that way. Right. So he catalogs them and he calculates, you know, what the actual raw number would be as a percentage of the population, adds up the whole number, and it turns out that over half the Muslims in the world are so-called radicalized. 800 million. So if if, if you're a Ben Affleck, and he does a good little yeah. dig on Affleck too, so you can yeah. watch it and, and see for yourself. But and, and if, if you're if you're a Ben Affleck, it, you're the, a Ben Affleck. The thing that sparked your video was Affleck's, Affleck's debate, yeah. uh, debate with uh, Bill Maher. Yeah. And if anyone hasn't seen that, you got to watch that. Ben Affleck just lost his mind when the truth about Islam hit it. He just couldn't believe it. He could not contain himself. His I body would I would love. I would love to be a fly on the wall. NSA, I mean, <laughs> hey, I always don't like you, but maybe right now, you and I, NSA, we can have a little deal because uh-huh. I would love to watch Ben Affleck watching Ben Shapiro's video. Absolutely. You know, and, you know hold on a second. Ben Affleck watching what else? Oh, watching your interview? <laughs> yes. Sure, sure. But, but, yeah. but, but Ben Shapiro's yes. video with those hard numbers that the, nobody the can evade. It's like, look at the numbers yeah, of people who believe this horrible yeah, thing. But, yeah, but he evaded all the, all the statistics that uh, Sam Harris and Bill Maher brought up also. So I think he needs a little more meat, a little more in-your-face uh, truth-telling, which is what I did in the, in the appearance about Muslims in general, what they actually believe and what, you know, and the, the good ones basically ignored the Quran. Those are the good ones. Right. And the best ones got the hell out of Islam. Right, right. Anyway, definitely go check that out. I thought that was excellent from Ben Shapiro. It was excellent. Yeah. It, it, it opened some eyes, too. It really did like, whoa, we got a major mess here. Far more than, it, you know, I, I was thinking, I was talking to a friend of mine also, and the guy who pays a terrorist to kill is a terrorist. I mean, that's, that guy's a terrorist. We don't technically call him such. A fun ter- He's a terrorist. He's paying to kill people. He's a button man. He's the mafioso who, who you know, who pays off the the uh, the um, killers. Right. That's a terrorist. And there are far more terrorists than we'd like to believe there exist in Saudi Arabia, Iran, elsewhere. Uh, and then those who support him morally. Right. Right. Now, um, you were telling me, Bosch, about this piece, and this is perhaps another good sign. In the culture, there's a piece in the Atlantic, and it's entitled, What Does Islamophobia Actually Mean? I didn't see. We actually were supposed to talk about what... what so did you, know, you did you no, not read it? No, I didn't. Oh. I sent you things. I said, let's, let's, let's talk about which ones we want to talk about. We just never got there because the day was a mess. Okay. But uh, I like this about it. The fact that that article is being written, the fact that... Islamophobia is being questioned to some extent. That's important. Right. The fact that there could be an article tomorrow that says, does Islam mean peace? That's an important article. 
because we take it for granted. I'm going, oh, it's only peace. Ask the question the other way. Say, does it mean peace? And let's try to bring that down. And let's see what Islam actually means. It means submission. What, what does submission mean? And go on. Right. And I love the fact that articles like this are being made. That's what, that's what jumped now, out at me. What, what, it, what it says it is here, it's, it's an interview with Sam Harris. And the appeal, appeal, the, Sam Harris interview. Yeah, the author says, when I asked Sam Harris what he thought of the word Islamophobia. Sam Harris is an atheist writer. He's, uh, he's, he's excellent, excellent against Islam. Uh, he was on Bill Maher uh, debating, quote-unquote, debating with uh, the imbecile Ben, ben Aslick. He was supposed it. to be just be able to promote his book. That's what he was there for. But it didn't happen. No. Um, so this is from Harris, quote, Islam is not a race, ethnicity, or nationality. It's a set of ideas. He says, criticism of these ideas should never be confused with an animus toward people. And yet it is. I'm convinced that this is often done consciously, yes. strategically, yes. and quite yes. cynically yes. as a means of shutting down conversation Absolutely. on important topics. Uh, the left always wants to think about people because no one wants to hate people. You know, we're not like that. We're not built like that as a people. So they're using our benevolence, our generosity about people and say, well, you're saying – did you just say that a billion people are evil and people are on their heels? No, no, I didn't say that. You know, on the on no, and just tell them you said that. Right. You just said that. Right. I didn't say that. Yeah. And that that's what I tell these rats. But they always want me to make it about people, not ideas. They want to stay clear from ideas, the the ideas that animate these scum, and just talk about people. The, I know this nice Muslim. He's a nice guy. Right. And that's it. And that's you know case closed. I mean, it's 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 all ver- versions of ad hominem or argument from intimidation. Just to basically, and, and the whole yeah. the whole gist is shut up about Islam, shut up. And um, what's the what's the podcaster? Um, Al Corolla, Adam Corolla. Adam Corolla. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine recommended that I listen to his reaction to the Ben Affleck with um, Bill Maher. It was very good. And uh, that's that was his conclusion that basically Al Affleck was saying, "Shut up." He wanted him to shut up, period, and that's it. That's it. And that is all he wanted. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear anything. He has these notions about who knows about Islam and maybe has some Muslim friends and that therefore they define the religion to him, whatever. Um, it was good. Now, here's the uh, kind of trying to figure out what does Islamophobia actually mean. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trace it back well, even into the 1980s. Well, it was created by the enemy in order to shut us up. It says uh, this is... Um, they have an origin thing there. They say something. It, it was created by... Uh, what did it say there? It was, it was coined at a certain age? Yeah, they said... They, uh, this is Robin Richardson, I guess, um, tracing the phrase uh, and, and says that, quote, in its early earliest historical stage, uh, excuse me, in the earliest historical usage... The term Islamophobia described prejudice and hostility toward Muslims, not a, quote, irrational fear of Islam. Um, and it says critics of the term often lambast it on the base of an etymological deficiency. By the way, Muslims have never, ever deserved or never, ever earned uh, being uh, critical of or never earned being uh, seen suspiciously at. You know what I mean? Right. They, what I'm saying is they have, of course, but they wanted their own anti-Semitism. And they had to create it from. I mean, they had to actually force it out there into the world by saying it again and again and again every day. Islamophobia, Islamophobia, as if it's anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism yeah. is irrational. Yeah, but appara- apparently, it's, 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 it's apparently the original use of the term 
was about Muslims. But it says, critics of the term often lambasted on the basis of an etymological deficiency, insisting that it thwarts the possibility of critiquing Islam as a religion while simultaneously suggesting the presence of a mental disorder on the part of those who do. Well, you know, there's nothing irrational about fearing an ideology that wants us dead. Nothing. That wants to put us on our knees or enslave our women. There's nothing irrational about that. Have you heard of this book, The Islamophobia Industry? No, uh, okay, I, I've heard of uh, Neil, right? What's his name? Nathan Lean. Uh, now, I don't know if he's a leftist or a Muslim or a Muslimist, as some of them are. Uh, we just saw another Muslimist on, on CNN. Uh, they're basically leftists. Well, but, they're so, leftist atheists who become Muslims, so think about that also. Well, right, but listen... listen I mean, they didn't believe in God, this, but this, now they believe is, in Allah. This is a quote from him. He says... He's a rat, by the way. An absolute rat. Nathan Lean? Absolute rat. Okay. Him and Robert Spencer went at it back and forth a few years ago. Well, he's criticizing Islam here. Do you Na- want to hear? Nathan Lean? Yeah. Um, he says, this is what he says, religions differ and their specific differences matter. Oh, wait, no, this is Harris. I'm sorry, you're right. This is Sam Harris. He says, yeah, no, you're right. Um, he says, the truth is that Islam has doctrines regarding jihad, martyrdom, apostasy, etc. that pose Harris. a special problem to the civilized world at this moment in history. We deny this at our peril. I, I, there is nothing in what Harris says Never. here that I disagree with. Never. Not, Not about thing. Islam. This is, this is good. He's, uh, he's deficient when it comes to morality. He's deficient when it comes to criticism of objectivism. Mm-hmm. He's lousy when it comes to that. But on Islam... That's where he pulls his full intellectual power at, and he just blows away almost all his critics. He's excellent. And he's friends with Ayan Harsi Ali. He was on the, the Bill Moore. He, he didn't get a chance to speak because the idiot kept interrupting him. I mean, did you hear what he said? You know, Ben Astley, when, when he said, you're saying like, hey, those black people, and, and the uh. voice he made, he goes, we're endowed by our, our founders, or fa- by our forefathers, we're endowed by our forefathers. But anyway, it was so... <laughs> this guy's playing Batman. This guy's playing Batman. If anyone wants to see my reaction when uh, he was cast as Batman, check, check it out. <laughs> Go to your blog yeah. and just kind of Google him. Yeah. Um, there are a couple things that we are not going to be able to know about until after the election. Yes. One is the result of the Bo Birdog, uh, Birdall yep. deserter investigation. Yep. The traitor who joined the enemy and who has not said a peep publicly, who has not, we, we don't know any word that he said publicly, and it'll come out after the election. Of course it will. And this is Obama's favorite kind of soldier, a traitor. The other thing that will not come out in And he's a Muslim, by the way, Bergdahl. He's a Muslim. You We're think so, to, yeah? No, not, I he think is. so. He is. The other thing that will not come out until after the election is the 2015 Obamacare prices, yes. the prices. And the, so, the cynicism, the naked, you know, aspect of it all is just shocking. At the same time, what are the Republicans offering no. us? If, you know, Republicans think they have it made. They just say, look, zip your mouth, don't say a word, we got this. Imagine if they stood on something. Imagine if they were decent, not just great. Imagine they were decent human beings. They would have smashed the midterms. Now they might eke out some kind of whim. They might eke out the Senate, possibly. But it's not about standing on principle. They don't know what that is. Principle, they say, you mean the guy ran my high school? That's what they say. Um, 
It's disgusting. It's pathetic. They could have really, they could have destroyed the Democrats, and uh, they probably won't. They might eat out a win, maybe, maybe hold the House, maybe get a slight majority in the Senate, but that's about it. Well, and will it prevent Obama from doing no, horrible things to us he's anyway? He's going to do what he's going to do. You know, some people are saying, well, you know, they can't really tell you what the prices are going to be for 2015 oh, yet anyway. And the reason is that Obama decides day by day by day how much of Obamacare he's actually going to enforce anyway. Yes. He's going to do his little argument. pick and choose with his pen and phone, well, and he's going to keep changing the prices yeah, but, yeah, but mis- all the way up to the last yeah, minute. But, yeah, but Mr. Promise, he's Mr. Promise. Where is the round number? Where is it? He, I mean, he always promises, right? This, 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 this. It won't be this much. It won't be this much. You'll save this much. And now he's trying to strap. You know, we, um, we've talked a lot about Ebola. We haven't talked much about ISIS. Yeah. We are totally messing up against ISIS. Okay. They said, there's some stories like, uh, it's really failing. It never was intended to succeed. He's not out to destroy ISIS, Barack Obama. He's out to act like an American president ought to act after Americans get beheaded. He's like, oh. every time something like that, he's like, oh, man, okay, look, uh, throw some bombs out there, you know, media, and, you know, enhance it a little. We have a, we have a midterm coming, guys. So I have to act like an American president for the time being. We could have wiped them out already. Oh, yeah. And suppose they've been bombing empty buildings, empty buildings. They're still active, ISIS. There's no major destruction of ISIS. There's no major leader that's been killed. And if there if there was one, maybe they just created it out of out of out of whole cloth. The um the last very scary story that I looked at briefly was that we've got former Iraqi soldiers teaching ISIS members how to fly jets, and that that's the next thing that they're going to be airborne and do who well, knows. Why what. did we teach Iraqis to do that? Why do we teach them how to be soldiers? So what's scarier, uh, airborne Ebola or airborne ISIS? Well, how about airborne Ebola, ISIS? How about ISIS members with Ebola going onto buses in America and touching everyone, you know, throwing up on them? Who knows? You know, we haven't had a whole lot of participation from our chat room over here. We do appreciate you guys. And I am looking over here every so often. The last thing that I've seen is from Levi talking about which clip of the flip side has gone the, um, viral? And so I don't know if I'm behind on this chat room. Let me see. No, I've got okay. I've got it scrolled all the way down. There is one story that I want to talk about, and it's one that perhaps even with Ebola and ISIS and everything else is the scariest story that I've seen this week. Mm. It came from the Washington Post, and in the story. The headline is, seems fairly innocuous. It is, yes. White House pool reporters test their own news distribution it's system. And, and by the way, I've linked to this story over at the Don't Let It Go on Her page on Facebook. And I sent it out you know, through Twitter as well, which is how I do things. It goes from Don't Let It Go on Her out to Amy Peacock on Twitter. So follow me either place that you like. But that's the headline. In the story... It says that the reason that the White House pool reporters are testing their own news distribution system is because our White House, under Barack Obama, has been editing the content of the pool reporters' stories before letting them be distributed. Now, these pool reporters, again, I mean, I I really haven't been so up on the structure of journalism and and particularly the structure of journalism focused on reporting about the president. But there's a pool of reporters 
where basically they all agree to share stories with each other and then only maybe one or two of them is going to be given close access at each event that the president is going to. What should the title of the story have been? The story should have been censorship and the reporter's efforts to circumvent it. I mean, what what a thing. They're going to write in the content of this. They they can tell us the truth of of this horrific story. Right, right. And... So, so the idea is that the, there's maybe say, say there's only two reporters allowed to be close to Barack Obama at a crucial event, right? And so that those reporters are going to write up what they call the pool story, and they they agree to share it with everybody else. But the White House has been editing the content of the story if they don't like the way things are being reported and then putting out there. So they have thankfully, I think it's a Google group or something that they set up. I read the article the other day and they have been sharing through this google group but then the question is is the president still going to give them the access or not and but i mean imagine that we are in a stage where the reporters themselves and you know that they're mostly left-leaning reporters probably no, i mean majority. they're they're products of of our uh, journalist programs of, uh, in the united of states the scum media are leftists so they have felt like their integrity is what integrity? Well, they have no integrity. Anyway, they these people have felt that their journalistic integrity is being violated by our president, that they are being censored to the so extent where are that they, they feel. To us. No, but what I'm saying is, if they actually believe that, they wouldn't be doing what they do. First of all, they wouldn't be. Uh, but they also would be out there in outrage, having a press conference about this with other media. Said, look, this is unacceptable, and scream it. But they're not. They're not. This is a, a buried under a, a weak title with, with, with some quotes within there. What's going to happen about this story? What will happen about this? That's the question. What are they going to do about it? Right. Are they truly outraged? Because they have no integrity. Obama figures, you guys are my chumps anyway. So shut up. You gonna bitch about this? You've been you've been kissing my butt for years now. What what's the difference? Oh, I see. Over in the chat room, they say that they've got a blank page and they're not being able to see any of the text in the chat. Someone said no, it's working for me. So. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So. I for, don't know. I'm sorry, everyone. If there was a problem again. It sucks. It does. All these little mishaps. It could be that the it's Obama. the the chat that you get to the other way works, and this one doesn't. Who knows? Blog talk has had its glitches, but at least today. We weren't completely disconnected, no. and our listeners did not hear Vivaldi. So this is a vast improvement. I thought we were going to have a vastly uh, faster Internet connection right. today. You know, cable companies around the country are now saying that you're going to get multiple times the speed that you've been getting before for the same amount of money. All you got to do is switch out your modem. So I spent a significant chunk of today swapping out the modem, got it all to work, you know, worked out the kinks and everything, and then found it was exactly the same speed I had before. And it turns out new speed has not been turned on yet. I, I, I think we still have happened, quite good sound. I think the reason why even this, this is speed. happening, why they're offering this, is, is because Cabal TV is feeling the heat. <laughs> Cabal TV. Remember that Cabal TV is feeling the heat. Yeah. HBO is going directly to customers now. CBS is going directly and some other channels. They're telling people, look, you don't need to get this entire 1,000, 2,000 channel package. You want HBO, you will get it directly. That's just, to me, that's freedom. That's, if that's all you want, if you want channels, if you want TNT to watch NBA games, which I do, right. pay for that. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. 15 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever it is. We are at the end, Bosch. Anything else before we go? 
No, just uh, again, if you haven't seen my my interview by Michael Loftus on the flip side, um, we had we had Kafir Alfia, the executive producer, on the show earlier. Check it out. It's on my blog. It's on YouTube. It's all over. I would really appreciate it if you like it to share it. Thank you. Okay, everyone. We will be back next week, and I look forward to speaking with you. Until then, go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can comment on anything that we've talked about today. You can also follow the blog. That's a good way also to follow. If you don't like social media in particular, I don't blame you. Follow us on Blog Talk Radio if you prefer that. And uh, Freedom Breeze, loved your interview, Bosch. Do check out Bosch's interview. It is over there at don'tletitgo.com as well on the page. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you very much. Uh, If you like the show, also spread the word. Have a good weekend, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week.